0: Summoned the Scream Writers Podcast. The premier podcast welcoming both veteran and -and up-and-coming horror screenwriters
1: slaying their
0: (laughs) And now your hosts.
1: Welcome to the Scream Writers Podcast. I'm Patrick Mediate. New York in June on Twitter. And I am joined, as I am every week, by Katie Moyer. Live! Katie Moyer from the Whole Foods parking lot. Hey, Katie Moyer. How you doing?
0: remembered i didn't fall in toxic waste today (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) katie moyer is so busy and and had the urge to go to whole foods that she's literally right now in the whole foods parking lot did you get anything good katie what 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 are the highlights of your whole foods shopping trip
0: oh well it's mostly evie things but i am pretty proud of a gluten-free pizza that i found that i'm probably going to be making for dinner tonight
1: nice gluten-free you have a gluten sensitivity
0: no I just, if I can avoid it, why not?
1: Down with gluten. It's That's one of those things. It's like, is it like sugar now? The things to avoid in your diet is gluten? Is that, or is it just for people that are sensitive to it?
0: Not necessarily. People that are sensitive to it can have really bad gastrointestinal issues. But if you're more carnivorous, I guess is the right way of putting that. uh, Eating more meats, putting protein forward. It can be a good thing to just help reduce feelings of bloat and, you know, unsavory feelings in your tummy got it Um, Well,
1: katie's buff like for those of you who haven't who don't know what katie moyer looks like she is buff she is in shape so whatever katie does whatever you do katie i'm following your regimen so follow katie's ideas if you say no gluten i ain't eating gluten it's not happening
0: yeah i mean you can have some gluten don't i mean sourdough is awesome but i do without the sourdough for all of our you know wanting to be buff listeners out there if you if you're out there protein meat eat meat it's so good for you
1: but you know vegetarians do the vegetarian thing meat eaters do the meat eater thing not all bellies are created equal and we'll we'll let people you know make their own dietary decisions but i will digress for a second and say that i was on twitter scrolling around and you know our blacklist episode a couple weeks ago yes someone (laughs) called our blacklist episode brave if they said it we're was brave, brave that we were brave for doing the blacklist episode. We kind of were brave for doing that. We're we're kind of putting our necks on the line, and it's not like a bad mouth. You kind of did. <laughs> well, that is now kind of being known in the Twitter sphere as a brave episode. So I'll take it. I will take it. I'll
0: take it, too. I like that because I like challenging the ideas of, I think, with technology and the way that we are moving. I think there is so much opportunity for filmmakers and creators to find voices out there. And the old ways, they're not bad they're just not as relevant. There's other ways, directions you can go. And so I'm glad to see that there are going to be brave people out there who are excited to take that chance on things like Script Revolution, what CJ is doing. And I think I, our guest today is definitely one of them.
1: Yes. Our, our guest today is definitely one of them. He is making quite the name for himself in the horror world. He, he's a producer. He's a director. He's a writer. He does it all. I've seen Uh, quite a few of his films. Uh, I love his anthology films, and that kind of aligns with what I'm doing right now with Aaron, with our writing. We're kind of getting more into the short film world, the short kind of anthology horror film world with our screenplays. We've written two horror shorts in the span of a week and a half that is really exciting when it was that the big is an snow-
0: accomplishment yeah
1: the big snowstorm here that happened we knocked two short screenplays out <laughs> one of which you've read um and i think yes. you've enjoyed but we've got two solid ones and i'm really happy about it and we've got mm-hmm. some buzz with one of the big anthology i'm not going to name any names because i don't want to like get wow. ahead. Of- ahead of ourselves but aaron's got a connection uh through walking dead to one of the the big horror anthology no
0: one
1: will figure that out yeah that's going on right now so we'll see what happens with that i'm really excited about that prospect but i think we got a really strong chance so we'll keep everyone updated and that's
0: the big superstition you know like in in the industry you can say so much but not too much because you know if you say too much then it'll definitely fall through
1: exactly so I'm, I'm just gonna say just gonna keep it neutral and just say excited about it as i am everything yeah. else when you kind of get this inkling of like ooh, something might happen i feel it in the in the winds the winds are stirring but anyway yeah. great guest on today uh second to last episode katie before it's actually the last episode before our big season finale which definitely follows a different format than our typical interviews we are next week reading the uh screenplay for envy Envy, which is Tara Hall screenplay, really fun. And then we'll post, once we do like a total hack job uh, with our roles, we'll post <laughs> the actual film for you to watch because it's really fun, but we're gonna do a, a, a semi-live read of that. So stay tuned yeah. for next week. It's gonna be a, an amazing grand finale of season two.
0: Very excited about it, but yeah, you'll definitely want to catch the actual film with production value and professional actors.
1: For sure, we will try to do it justice. And Tara does have some great actors coming aboard to voice. Uh, yes. Yeah, so so I'm excited about that. So it, it's not gonna be a total hack job, but you get to hear Katie and I try to um, to act, which will be interesting. <laughs> But for today's episode, we have Aaron B. Koontz. Awesome dude. I've seen so many of his films. Pale Door, Scare Package. Come on, people.
0: Pale Door is amazing.
1: Pale Doors is, is awesome, so much fun. But we've got him on the show and he's got quite the story. I mean, he's he's been, he's doing it all, like I said. He's got, mm-hmm. he's making a huge name for himself in the horror world. And I can't wait to ask him the burning questions that we have, so excited to bring him on. And don't want to wait another second because we've been doing so much talking and Katie's ice cream is thawing uh, from Whole Foods. So let's get a right I'm eating it, I've yeah, taken let, to eating it. Yeah, he, she's she's okay. already start, broken into the pints of ice cream ice cream. So let's get (laughs) right into Aaron's intro. A former producer at Universal Studios Production Group with two decades in the film industry, Aaron set out to create his own production outlet, founding the boutique genre studio Paper Street Pictures in 2012. With Paper Street, Aaron has written, directed, and produced multiple genre-bending films, including 2017's Camera Obscura, a psychological thriller released by Universal, Scare Package, the cult hit horror comedy anthology via AMC's Shudder with a sequel in post now, as well as The Pale Door, a horror Western he co-created with renowned author Joe R. Lansdale with RLJE Films. With 10 feature screenplays under his belt alongside co-writer Cameron Burns, including two currently in development and the aforementioned Scare Package 2 in post, writing is Aaron's first passion. But it is as a producer where he has become truly prolific. Starting in 2014, Aaron was a producer on the South by Southwest Midnighter Starry Eyes and has now led the production team of 15 genre films with nine of those releasing later in 2022. Some of those upcoming titles include the Lucky McKee directed and Stephen Lang starring thriller Old Man, Emily Hagen's coming-of-age horror comedy Sorry About the Demon, the feminist horror Trim Season, and the Alicia Silverstone-led shark-infested thriller The Requiem. Aaron's most recent venture is co-founding and launching the consulting firm Blood Oath alongside multiple industry veterans, geared at helping both experienced and new filmmaking voices through their mantra of making scary movies less scary to make. We all love that. Blood Oath already has four films in post now, including the Tony Todd and Tobin Bell sci-fi horror, the bunker Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. We know we cold outreached you on like Instagram. We're like, we got to have Aaron on the show and here you are and we're so excited about that. So thank you so much for accepting our request and uh, giving us a shot and talking to you today.
2: Pleasure is all mine. Yeah, you've had some great guests. So I'm honored to be a part of that uh, new tradition you're starting, so it's exciting.
1: Glad you're a part of that as well. I'm gonna kick it right off and just dive into the questioning here we have from you because you know your time's valuable. So this may sound like a cliche question, but it's really a question that most of our listeners always want to know from established horror screenwriters. And I would consider you more than an established horror screenwriter. You are established horror screenwriter, producer, director. How did you break in to the business, to like the horror world? What was your calling card?
2: Goodness. I mean, well, calling card to horror or screenwriting and horror in particular? I think
1: both. So I think just in general for screenwriting, we can kind of compartmentalize this. And then also when you're getting into horror, the horror world and the horror universe, because you're really becoming a name for yourself with horror uh, as a niche.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, we take a lot of pride in focusing on genre films. And there's a lot of reasons why we do that, just both from a production standpoint, but then also, you know, as creators ourselves and, and, and focusing on the creative and you don't really need stars and you're able to really focus and take these kind of weird ideas and mix them with even weirder ideas, you know, and I think that's fun where where horror there's just really no rules, you do to kind of just mix and match some stuff so I can I can hide a family drama about some problems I had with my father and relationship with my brother in between cowboys fighting witches you know so mm-hmm. you don't yeah. you don't get to do that all the time you just make the family drama uh, on the other side so that's that's what part of what it kind of attracts me to horror but goodness I I think you know just graduating from film school like I always I wasn't allowed to watch horror films growing up that just wasn't something I, I grew up in a very Christian family so it was kind of that forbidden fruit so there was just a, a draw to it in some way but then when I had some friends that graduated film school for me and at the same time with me, and, and they were making a name for themselves in horror. So honestly, I kind of thought that maybe they could help me out. Uh, that did not end up happening, not in a, any fault of their own. It just <laughs> didn't really work out that way. But I was like, well, hey, I know some people, maybe maybe that can can really inform where I want to go. Because, you know, my cinematic idols growing up were Altman and Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, you know, and Spielberg yeah. definitely does, does genre for sure. But I love I mean, Paul, again, Magnolia is one of my all-time favorite films, oh, if not totally my all-time you. favorite. Yeah, it's like Magnolia and Jaws, like for me. It's like, <laughs> which is a weird combo. <laughs> I a, know, that is a bad. combo. <laughs> but they really are my two favorite films. So you know, I always thought that was part of what was kind of drawing me drawing me in that direction and maybe make something coming-of-age story. And I, and I still have that in me, I'm sure, at some point. But genre films just have this kind of like weird heightened awareness to your surroundings and ways to interject drama and conflict in any possible way you know they're just there aren't again there are no rules and I just think that's really exciting and that kind of freedom creatively to say well how do I how do I because you know as a screenwriter you're always talking about conflict it's like how do I throw conflict at my characters how do I find ways to you know stop them in their journey and have them push through well, I mean, you can throw the craziest stuff in the world. Can I curse? I almost curse, but can you can throw the you can craziest stuff? Definitely okay,
1: the, feel free to curse. We've been doing it for the last few episodes, especially with Bonnie last week. She was all over it. So feel free. Oh,
2: okay. Okay. <laughs> It'll so now that I know it's just gonna happen now. So I'll, I'll keep that in mind. But <laughs> no uh but yeah, you know, you can throw so much shit at the wall, right? Like yeah. that's that's what becomes fun about it. And, and, and you know, and, and and there's all these experimentations that you can do with genre, I just think makes it really exciting when you're trying to tell those stories. Do
1: you attribute your you know, success in the business and breaking into the business do you do you attribute that to what like what's what would be like if you were to attribute that to one thing like actually getting in the door and doing what you do is that just you not just writing it but doing it or do you attribute that to someone who like helped you out along the way or other than yourself and maybe it is just yourself
2: first i have i have a great team of people and paper street pictures our production company you know i i have folks that i graduated with and You know when we hit those low points which we all hit you know we kind of pick each other up so first and foremost i think my team and my partners i think are the biggest the biggest opportunity the biggest reason why we've been able to push forward but i think so much of this is just kind of that kind of unbelievable drive that we have to just take these hits and keep getting up Uh, i mean the first film we had made was a very tumultuous experience it was called camera obscura and we had that, that film funded and then when we lost the funding three different times and it took over almost five years, wow. then it finally gets made and it ended up being made with NBC universal, which was also just a completely crazy situation to begin with. But then once it came out, it wasn't even my version of the film. I had final cut, but they didn't even release the story that I wanted to release. And it was definitely disheartening and, and but we still got the movie out there. So it's like this, you're so happy that you kind of push the ball. Like Chris McCrory has that great, that great phrase of uh, saying about, Screenwriting is pushing this ten thousand pound boulder up up a you know up a mountain, and then mm-hmm. directing is running down the other side, trying to not let it kill you. There's something about that you know that you're trying to do and we had we had worked so hard to get that boulder up that mountain and then in the directing process, it was just, oh no, what the hell's going on? we can't do that, you're not letting us do that and and then and then this version came out that was different, and we kind of got squashed by our own boulder that we pushed up the hill, you know so that was tricky. But I think so much of this is just a every no is one step closer to a yes kind of mentality. It was so hard. And it's still so hard. It's still so hard. Every every movie is a miracle. And that's truly it. But I went to the places that people told me like, oh, that's a waste of time. You know, like, I'm like, well, but there's investors there, right? And like, yeah, but but they're not going to want to talk to you. I'm like, well, if they're there, I'm going to go. And I would scrape together what little money I could to fly myself out to LA and and try and take meetings and 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 just put myself in front of people, constantly put myself out there and fail. I just had to be okay with failing, and we we were. And every time it happened, I I just I had to believe more than anyone else in the room. And now I meet with people, and they're always kind of caught off guard, I'm like oh my god, you actually made that thing! Like I remember that. Yeah, yeah, you made that movie, <laughs> right. you know. And nobody thinks we can make it for the budget that we want to make it, and that's why you know, I became a director to protect my writing and I became a producer to protect my directing. Sure. And, and that really kind of happened in the, you know, scare package, pale door kind of phase of, of what's going on. But even in those, you know, the pale door, that original screenplay, if you watch the movie, they're very different. And a lot of the reason is, you know, we had category five tornadoes and we had, we lost part of our funding in the middle of shooting and, you know, and all these things that again, that boulder, you know, coming on that other end and And just learning how to navigate that, um, you know, from a directing and producing standpoint. So I think so much of this is that kind of, no, I'm not going to let this get me down because this is what I have to do with my life. I, I talk to film students all the time and I say, you know, if you have another job, like what would you do if you weren't doing filmmaking? And, and they're like, Oh, I would do this. I'm really great at this. I'm really excited about this. And they immediately jump to that, to that question. Right. I usually say, you should just go do that then <laughs> because yeah. good it's a uh, good answer. But if you pause and you're like, I don't really know. I mean, I guess I could do that, but I just, I don't know. This is kind of, I have this calling. If you have that calling, then you know, you know it, you feel it, then you can't let it go. You're just, it's just not going to stop you. And you're going to continue pushing that that boulder up the hill. And I'm really proud of the fact that we've been doing that. And I mean, you know, we've been working on producing a lot, but this year, 2022, we have between eight to 10 movies that will release in 2022. Not all of those, obviously, I didn't write all of those, but we developed scripts with all of those directors. And that's part of that writing process has really helped me as a producer as well in that way. Now I have people who come to me and they say, what do you want to do next? And I get to pick my specific script That Cameron Burns, my co-writer and I, that we've worked on, that we want to develop because we've showed this ability elsewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. that people trust us with the money to, to get it where it needs to go.
0: I mean, looking at your career as a whole, too, what you see, the IMDb, it's writing, directing, producing, and it is your own work. And I guess thinking about, yeah, that boulder, if all you did was push it up the hill and you, you didn't take on the directing, you didn't take on the producing, what road would that have looked like if you hadn't produced your own screenplays? And do you really think we would be, I guess, sitting here talking or would you still be pushing that boulder up the hill?
2: I think I would just be on a producing podcast is all it would be. I wouldn't be on a screen. Podcast. Yeah. I mean, truly, that's exactly what it would be. I think I would still be able to get movies made because I don't know, I have a mentality of I'm able to kind of see the bigger picture. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because just knowing that, you know, you've talked to people like Mick Garrison, folks, and I just have imposter syndrome, you know, even being here. So, yeah. but at the same time, I also weirdly believe in myself you know, so I can have both of those, both those two truths can still exist within me. So I would get movies made, but if I wasn't producing my own screenplays, no, I don't think, I mean, we had people who liked them. And, and, and since then, since we made our first couple and we, we got those on the screen, we have had people, you know, who have said, Hey, I like the screenplay. We want to purchase it, but we we've, we've held back on selling any of our work. We want to be able to make them ourselves.
1: I want to start with with Scare Package which is an anthology film. This is a two-parter. First, how did you come about getting involved with Scare Package, right? And second, My writing partner, Aaron, and I have been, you know, writing... uh, We wrote two horror anthology shorts that were pitching around town and and have been really having a lot of fun with them. Do you see writing horror shorts for something like an anthology film as a good way to become noticed as a horror screenwriter? It's kind of like a backdoor in a way because they don't take as much you know, time to put together, you can compartmentalize them and put them in compartments and then try to pitch them individually to anthology series. Do you think that's the way in? So first part of the question is, How did you, you know, get involved with Scare Package? How did that come about? And, you know, getting everyone else involved. And second, is writing for an anthology film, like, a way in or kind of an interesting way into a backdoor of the screenwriting world?
2: I think writing an anthology film, writing segments is just writing shorts and writing those shorts, I think, is a great way in. Mm. I mean, I will say making an anthology is extremely difficult. I think there's this, sometimes there's an idea of, Oh, I, I've made a short. I, we can just get six of those. Then we have a movie a uh, feature. And, and it's it's definitely uh, very different for that, especially in our experience. But Scare Package was, you know, this was our idea. So we birthed mm-hmm. this into existence in every way. So coming after Camera Obscuro, that movie was released. We were very frustrated. It, did, it didn't even get a, a North American release for the longest time. Uh, internationally, it was doing okay, but you know, nobody nobody knew it. Mm-hmm. My mom still didn't understand. She's like, "Why well, can't find your movie?" And I'm like, "Well, I, I promise you, I'm I'm really a filmmaker, mom." But it wasn't as out there as we had wanted. I was like, you know, I just want to make something with my friends. You know, I, I I we've met all these wonderful people. We had made short films prior, gotten to know a lot of great short you know short directors and writers, and we're like, I just want to work with these kind of people. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that was through an anthology. So we created the concept. And then nobody pitched us to short, necessarily. We went to directors and writers that we liked, that we had seen work for, that showed an aptitude for the type of thing we wanted to make. Because we really had, the original title was called Tropes. And the idea was every segment was a different horror trope that we were subverting. Hmm. And then it would all come together. And then I was like, well, if if it's about tropes, the title should also be a trope. So we kind of did that Silent Night, Deadly Night, you know, chopping mall kind of adage and went Uh with Scare Package. That's where that came from. We asked folks, you know, Hey, I like what you're doing. I love this short. And some people were like, Hey, you can have that short. I'm like, no, we want it all to be original created for this, you know, specifically for this idea. So if someone brought us, now now there were folks that we talked to who said, I had an idea, I've never fleshed it out. And we're like, you, yeah, keep going with that. And, but we work with them. We take a lot of pride in our development of, of projects. So, you know, we'll develop the idea together. We'll help them. We'll be giving notes and, and but we want them, want it to be their vision. That's really where that's kind of stemmed out of. is just an idea of, can we make something inexpensively enough that we're not gonna have outside influences. We get to do this truly the way we want, as silly as we want. Camera Obscura was such a kind of a downer of a film. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was meant to be that way. You know, it was a gut punch. But that was, it's like, I just wanna have, I'm to feel different. I want some, I want to end with a smile on your face. And literally the movie ends with them running with smiles, on their faces. Hmm. And that was just something that we wanted to kind of put out in the world. And and I think the timing of that during the pandemic was very helpful because I think people just wanted an escape. And that's part of where I found my voice too. I think as a filmmaker, I've never had more fun making a movie before than I did in Scare Package. And I had a lot of fun making The Pale Door as well, but we just hit so many, you know, Murphy's Law was just such an asshole on that one. And hmm. I don't like Murphy. Um, and, <laughs> the worst uh,
1: sometimes, right? <laughs> Oh, Murphy. Goddamn Murphy.
2: Stupid Murphy. <laughs> uh, so that was not easy. But still, you know, I think we were able to kind of find that we want to make things that are fun. We want to make things that feel like I haven't really seen that before. Like we, I had never seen an anthology, horror anthology especially, that was all horror comedy. I found myself liking a lot of the comedy aspects and other anthologies. So that was like, well, that's, that's an in. That's interesting to me. Now I'm getting excited about this because I didn't want to compete, you know, with the VHSs and the creep shows. They were too big and they had they had so much writing, you know, writing on an already in, in their background. So that was part of our, our angle. And then yeah, then we found these filmmakers, developed the stories together. Cameron and I came up with this whole concept of how we wanted them to work. And then once we had some stories and we, we got them to a point where we were happy with those writers, then we wrote around those stories the core concept film and the big finale, which ended up being about you know 40-50% of the movie. The sequel that we're working on now is even more of that. It's more of a central story that we've written and probably over an hour of the movie is that. And then there's small segments that we go into outside of that.
0: That's what I really loved about Scare Package was that the framing story was really compelling and you often see it taking a backseat to the shorts where it it was just as good as those shorts that were in it also of course talking about shorts we want to move to features too and talk about the pale door because there was a lot of buzz around this film when it was first making the rounds On the a lot festival.
1: of buzz so much buzz yeah. i mean like i remember um. the buzz around this thing and i was so excited there was so much buzz that i was like blair witch project buzz because it was like western and pale door and i was like yeah yes I can't wait. Can't wait.
0: Yeah. Well, and horror Westerns are rare. I mean, you, and they run the gamut of like, mm-hmm. there's ghost town and then there's bone Tomahawk, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. of the production quality, all of that. And so I'm interested to hear about how you guys came to, you know, bring it to the screen, uh, you know, and especially you've got the dialogue, heavy scenes and then action picking up around, about halfway through. And so how did that, let's just brass tacks. How did it get produced? Tell us about the process.
2: You know, The Pale Door was actually two different scripts that we had had. So coming after Camera Obscura, which did well internationally, so Universal came to me, the witch, Robert Eggers, the witch had come out and they said, hey, we want to make some, you know, we want a witch movie because of course that's what they do, right? It's all derivative and (sighs) like, oh, that's successful. We need to do another thing like that. So they came to me like, do you have a witch movie? I'm like, "Uh, of course I do. Uh, just let me have till Friday, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and then had to come days. up with something. I I went and I pulled out this old script that I had that that kind of touched on the Salem witch trials, and but it wasn't really working for me. It was one of those ones that just kind of got you know we got to a fade out, but it got put in the drawer. And then I had written a western separate from that that was another kind of weird poetic tile. It was called the the play turned tragic about this group of cowboys that came to a ghost town. And then they had a hold up over the night and then they thought the ghost town might be haunted, but they end up kind of killing each other. And and it it was cool. It was it was a a decent idea, but it just was not It kind of fell apart at the halfway point. But I love the characters. Mm. And I said, you know, what if we mix these two and they get to the ghost town and there's a coven of witches and it just like clicked. So I went back to Universal and I was like, hey, I got it. You know, here's what I want to do. And they're like, wait, what? Cowboys and witches. Like, we just want normal witches. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know what a normal witch is, but okay, that's (laughs) cut to, you know, a few years later, I'm on a panel, a screenwriting panel, oddly enough. And I'm uh, sitting next to Joe R. Lansdale, the renowned author. And I, first off, the fact that I was on a panel with Joe Lansdale is just ridiculous enough. I should have been in the crowd, but I was, you know, such an honor to be there. And I told that story. And then Joe turns to me, kind of puts his hand on my shoulder and says, Aaron, And I'm, I'm not going to do a Joe impersonation. I love you, Joe. I, I just can't do it right. But, but in his thick accent, he tells me, he's like, you need to make that. That's great. And then he turns to the crowd and he's like, I'd watch that. Who else would watch that? And then it's like, who would watch that? And they all raise their hands. And he's like, see? And I was like, oh, goodness. Uh, okay, I guess I, I probably need to do this. So we go to dinner that night. And then we kept talking and I was talking with his son, Keith, who's also just a wonderful author, written some X-Files comics and some other things too. He's like, well, maybe we should do it together. And I just was, are you kidding me? Joe R. Lansdale is interested in this idea. So originally Joe was going to write with us, but then he had some commitments and it got kind of tough to to make happen. And we were writing with Keith and he's like, look, I'll just give you guys some notes. And then Cameron and I did our first draft and we sent it to Keith and he would kind of cowboy it up a little more in some fun ways because that's just so much of what their style is like if you read you know Bubba Hoots up in Cold in July and, mm. and, and Yeah. Western is you know, so a very keep,
0: distinct yeah. like pattern. And it's good to get that like knowledge.
2: Yeah, it was fun. It was just a really fun experience. It's the first script that we had written, you know, we, we wrote the the whole first couple drafts ourselves, but as the first one we started to really collaborate with someone else. And Keith really came in and Help me find the heart of it. I mean the original ending of the pale door was this extremely dark there was like actually a creature with the witches that shows up it's like a crow creature and like eats Jake at the end wild and it was uh it was completely insane and it would have been fun. don't get me wrong. I, I've always thought it would have been a lot of fun to still make and that's kind of where my first my first instincts go there. but Keith was like, wait, he's like, this is a story about two brothers. this is a story about redemption. this is a story. About you know not following in your father's footsteps and and grief and pain, and and he's like, it needs to come back to that, and he was right. and you know the and like, like I said earlier, you know this is really about my father and my brother and struggles that we've had and had to deal with and 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 forgiving ourselves and that the problems with my father will die with him, how mm-hmm. we're going to kind of work together with that. So Keith helped us kind of find that heart and that thread. But one year to the day of Joe telling me that I should be making that script and that this is what I should be I should be pursuing, We, I had a sci-fi script that we were going to do. We pushed that to the side. And one year to the day, I was driving to Oklahoma City to direct The Pale Door. The money was raised all private. That was all private equity. So wow. I went nice. out. good on you yeah just went to anyone and everyone i could find and you know i had joe lansdale's name which was a little helpful we had a sales agent that was trying to help us but i raised every penny i raised every penny ourselves um, myself my it. producing partner
1: i'm gonna clap on that that's, yeah i mean that's just that is a huge Golf accomplishment sure. so hard to do i mean such hard work more power to you that's awesome
2: yeah and then we lost part of that money in the middle of shooting and then we had category five tornadoes and my last six days of shooting became three days of shooting Which is, it's, it's one thing if you have a, if you have a movie that you have 22 days to shoot and then you lose and you have to shoot a 19, you can just revamp that and figure that out. It's another thing when you're two thirds of the way shooting and you lose those three days, it's devastating. So yeah, there are some places that you know, and I think some reviewers rightfully pointed it out and where we had to cut some corners and that's unfortunate, but there's the times where you can see where we got to take the time and we got to put it in and we got to practically turn it, you know, a church upside down and you know, the opening inside the saloon and some stuff and the train robbery and these things that we really got to put the time into that I'm still so, I'm still proud of the whole film, but you know, I I do really wish like, oh, goodness, if I could have just had two more days, even one mm. more day, what I could have done, you know, yeah. or just a little bit more. So, but that's, that's what happens with every film, right?
1: Truly with every film. But what was your, what was your pitch just out of curiosity when you went out to raise the money? Because, you know, that's becoming rarer and rarer nowadays that you just knock on doors and you just get the financing. What was like your, did you have like a shtick? Did you just pitch the thing? Or did you show them the script? Did you have like a visual aid and like send witches to the house or something? Like What was your thing?
2: That elevator speech. Yeah,
1: what's your elevator pitch?
2: Look, we're we're very big on pitch decks, you know, and putting mm. this together. So I, I had I already knew my composer, who this was like a dream project for him, Alex Cuervo. I had him kind of put together some music, like some sample music.
1: Nice. And
2: then we put that with some visuals. And we had we had some some drawings of what I wanted the witches to look like, which were kind of the raw doll witches, but as if they were burnt at the stake.
1: Love it. Because
2: I really I wanted to build folklore into this at the same time. I think you know, horror works for me even more when you can ground something in a reality, whether that's a heightened reality or, or there, but it's just something that kind of feels tangible.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and so knowing the horrors, like I'd read the story of a woman who was chased out of you know, because most most witches, the people they witches, goodness, people they called witches during the Salem witch trials. Right. They um, they were stoned or hanged. They weren't actually burned, but overseas they did burn some. But there was a story of someone who ran because she was pregnant and she was going to be stoned, and then they found her in a town, many towns over, a pregnant woman, and they and they burned her. Um, and now whether or not that's true, I don't know. But that was to me like re- that's real horror. Like that, yeah. I, I I still shudder. Oh, to just goosebumps. the concept of that. I took a speech. So Cotton Mather, who's a real individual, and I took real speeches that he had told. And I mean, one reviewer was like, this is a little over the top, you know, this feels a little far-fetched. I'm like, that's actually what that dude said, man. I'm taking real words that he said, and i am just kind of have an amalgamation of something different. And, you know, and James Landry Abbear, who's now on um 1883, did such a good job of making that happen, but um in delivering that. But yeah, that that was so. Sorry, but back to your original question. You know, we had this, had some music. I had some visuals and then I came in. I was like, look, it's cowboys versus witches. Okay. Like you've never seen that before, but it's a gang and there's a parallel between these witches and their family, this new family they've created and and this gang and this family they've created. And I think it's about a lot of men underestimating the power and the fortitude of the women around them and thinking that they can just shoot their way out and just brute force can move their way through something when Mm -hmm. the reality is that they're looking at these threads of a quilt and trying to discern a pattern. They're just so out of their element. And I think there was something good about that and fun. But then I also said, look, we're going to have juicy pieces and I'm going to get all the best character actors to come in and play. I took time to say every actor that is part of this gang has a moment, you know, whether it's a little speech right. or something flashy, because that's what they want. You you need to get, you want to get your movies made, you need to get actors who want to be a part of it. I paid for a casting director and stuff. We didn't have all the money and we went out to start casting. And I pretended like I had more money than I did. Wow. Wow. But I knew I could get some people and Melora Walters came in pretty early. Uh, Devin Druid and Zachary Knight and David Drew from 13 Reasons Why, and Melora Walters, again, talking about Paul Thomas Anderson love, you know, Magnolia. Her look at the end of Magnolia was such a big moment for me, and one of the reasons why I even went to film school was the end of Magnolia and her look. I was like, and I, I named the, the, the Madame of the Witches and named her Maria after mm. Melora, mm. and because I like, I like when I'm on set, I like to call you by your name your personal name, if I'm talking to you, but then if it's a character, I, I call you by your character name for that direction. It's just a way that I differentiate. So uh, I wanted that. So, but yeah, I named it after her and, and I was like, it's gotta be her. I wrote her a letter and everything and, and she came on board. And then once you have Zachary Knighton from happy endings and Devin Druid from 13 reasons why and am Walters, who, you know, should have won an Oscar and you have the three of them together. It's like, Oh wow. You've got a little interesting cast here, you know, and then Stan mm-hmm. Shaw and, you know, and Bill Sage and and Pat Healy, and you, you just yeah. and all of these great genre actors come together. It just it just got everybody very excited. I told you the story of driving. When I'm driving there, I still didn't have all the money. I just knew we would get it. Mm-hmm. I knew we would get, it. I do not advise that for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think you should have your money before you start, but we we had enough to get started. You know, and then unfortunately we lost some of it, which was just just horrible luck. Someone who just, just fell through a personal, through. Uh, personal oh. incident and uh, they they were sick. But either way, you know, I think again, it's that kind of, fastidiousness, you know, just just pushing forward. You're like, oh, I got to do it. We got to do it. I got to push this up the hill. Got to find a way. The train is leaving the station. And so we had to jump on board there and, and we did. And, but when you, when you combine character actors, Joe Orleansdale's name, Cowboys versus witches, I talked a lot about uh, Red Dead Redemption. I will say that because <laughs> Red Dead Redemption was the most popular game in the world at that time. And still is one of the most popular games ever made. And people talked about how Westerns don't work internationally, that no one internationally wants to see a Western because it's such a, you know, American, you know, history. You know, I was like, well, that's not the case for Red Dead. Mm -hmm. That really showed that there was an appetite for Westerns, you know, um, across the world. And I used that as an example and it kind of shut them up a little bit. And that definitely helped. And it did because internationally we, we had some money come in for the film.
1: I've been dying to have you on to talk to you about this because when I was first watched Pale Door, right, one thing I did notice was in typical Western fashion, Westerns are very dialogue heavy. They they have a lot of different developments with characters, there there are a lot of conversations, you know, not just your typical Westerns, like even Tarantino's films, the Western style films that Tarantino does, very, very dialogue heavy. And this was no exception. You have a lot of dialogue for for a good portion of this horror film which to me I'm wondering if you saw any challenges there when pitching it or you know usually they say hey like if you want to try to get a film through like make it action 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 right but a lot of dialogue transpires in that you know in that room right before you even get to any crazy action towards the second half talk a little bit about that
2: no yeah no look that's an astute point because that is where it's interesting we had a very divided audience on this mm-hmm. movie. And depending on who you talk to, they love the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. So there were some people who were like, oh, this was great until you got to the witches and all the horror started. I just wanted to just stay being a Western. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people who were like, oh my God, just cut to the witches already, cut to the horror already. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want the horror. And, and, and I knew that that was going to be a challenge. And it was something that we kind of embraced because I personally love that. Like I still mm-hmm. think... There's a world for where that can work. And we did, we cut some of it down. Believe it or not, it was even more on the the page. I was like, you know what? I'm making a Western first. Now, when I pitched it, I didn't pitch I was making Western first. I pitched I was making a horror film first. I will clarify that. But I knew I was making a Western that happened to have witches, you know, and had some of these other elements in it. But that's what I wanted to make. You know, I'd written that fully. I'd written my Western. I just didn't have that conflict that I wanted. And I created the conflict through genre. And that was that was fun, but you have to kind of stay true to what you think it is you're going to make. And regardless of some critics who were divided, the film has done extremely well. I mean, we were the number one horror film and the number one western on iTunes. You know, at the same time, and like I don't think that's ever happened.
1: You know, so that's amazing. It's, it's what a cool accomplishment.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's it's odd, but it's it's not for everyone for that reason. But but it was for me, and I think that's part of what's important is that I think so many people focus on I'm supposed to write this movie like that that derivative person who's a wonderful human at Universal who was like, ooh, the witch did well. Let's make a witch movie. Mm. And it's like, no, no, that's just not how it works. As soon as you start that game, you just you're never going to you're going to be behind the, the yeah.
1: it's always that person yeah. at Universal that says I, I uh. used to work I worked for I, in Universal in the back. I worked for um Mark Platt Productions, like in the little bungalow back there. And uh, I just it's so true, Aaron. Like, I just remember the, if I, I can't even count on my fingers like the amount of times where someone said, oh, they're doing a, a, a horror film about this or that let's do one of those let's can you find me one of those you know it's like it's such it's such a true thing yeah,
2: yeah. and it just misses the point entirely right yeah so if cool. you just stick to what you know and what you love there are other people out there that are going to see that and it's going to resonate with them too so if it resonates with you it will find its audience because you're part of that audience. You're a real human who watches movies. And there are people like you that are out there too.
0: Yeah. And I know we've seen, I feel like we've heard this theme multiple times talking to all these accomplished screenwriters is that theme of we take the drama first. We take the Western first, we take the romance or comedy first, and then we add in those genre elements. And that's what we hear time and time again with successful horror films And I just, I think this is another great example of that, what you just said.
2: Well, I think it's always important, you know, if you're doing these and I love genre mixing, you know, I I just think that's so, I mean, horror comedy, horror Western, you know, we have horror, sci-fi. I'm I'm writing a horror sports movie right now. Yes, <laughs> you know, finally, someone I, I've wow. never seen that or, before. That's why like I'm the replacements
1: with zombies or something. It. <laughs> uh, it's love called it. I
2: can say it's called Demon Derby, and uh, yeah, oh, it's kind oh, of right.
1: me. Katie, this is right up your alley. That's a that's a Katie oh my like gosh. name for. A, <laughs> that's yeah, great.
2: It's it's a, yeah, a Texas roller derby team that inadvertently sells their souls yes. to Satan in order to win the Texas. Derby uh, can i like invest
0: a dollar in it just to be a part of it <laughs> like oh my
2: god yeah i mean our our um this meets that on this you know which you have to do all the time is uh uh-huh. it's glow meets glow and ted lasso meets <laughs> evil dead 2 and maybe scare package a little bit i'm yeah. sold I'm oh my sold. gosh I, I would invest more than a dollar in Wait, this thing
0: I'm, yeah now is it wrestling
2: no it's 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 okay. roller derby yeah roller it's roller derby, derby. Yeah. But, okay but Glow right. is in that kind of like ragtag group of characters that have to come. Up. And also right. women, all these women that kind of come together. But again, that came out of me saying, I haven't seen that before. And I, I'm one of those odd ones who actually, I love sports movies and I love horror films. So I was like, you know what? Maybe someone's out there. That feels the same way. So we're trying that. But I think it's just important to kind of lean into just what you haven't seen and and find a way to lean into it. To make it successful, you need to be able to pull that horror out. And that drama still has to work. That comedy still has to work. That romance still has to be there. So if the horror is not there, your movie cannot fall apart. So if that's the case, then I think you have something. But if not, if you do pull that out and it does fall apart, I think that's where you need to keep going in your rewrites.
0: Patrick and I were talking about this, um, about, I just wrote a story um, uh, that's getting published in April. It's a rock star story. It's a story, a musician's story, and it's about revenge. But there's also eldritch monster kraken in it. Um, and I, we were just <laughs> right. talking about if I were to adapt it, and I, would say, and I was thinking, like, if I wanted to adapt this, I could probably take the monster out of it completely and just make it the drama and the horror that could happen, like, on this show in the midst of this revenge tale that's happening too. And um, so it's interesting to kind of think of it that way. And that's a good approach if I choose to adapt it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you should have that as you said it, though, because that sounds awesome. You know, I've seen the one
0: hey, without let's the let's talk monster. about it. <laughs> it is awesome
1: because she's getting it's published. Where is it getting published? Uh, well, Katie? It, oh,
0: it, it's a Scarlet Leaf review. We'll be publishing yeah. it. It is like novella length, it's very long, um, but that'll happen in April. So
2: congratulations. Cool. That's really cool. Thank you.
1: It's killer. I, I I'll send you a, a copy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's yeah, really I'm good. And she'd been begging me to read it. And I looked at it. And I'm like, wait a second, this is not a screenplay. It's a novella. It's like 60 pages <laughs> long, um, but it's it yeah. was terrific. Aaron, you you have so much going on now in post. When you're not writing your own features to produce, what is it that you look for in the horror screenplays that you choose to produce from other writers? Is there like an Aaron B. Kuntz criteria? Like what what are you looking for right now?
2: I mean, so it's interesting. I was just talking about this exact topic um, on a producing panel, and I think there's a lot, you know, whenever you're trying to pitch something to someone, there's a lot of information out there. You know, there's this talk that I'm doing. There's a lot of these. I've been a lot of podcasts. I've done a lot of interviews and I think there's a lot of information. So I think it's first and foremost, it's, I want to find someone that's done their homework. I wrote an article recently on Letterboxd uh, that was about horror with heart. And you'll notice if somebody were to read that, they would quickly see that that's actually what I'm looking for, you know? And I think it's something that that is connecting with me right now. And I just think here in the pandemic and where we're at in society, and don't get me wrong, I love Hereditary, I love those types of films. We have one film called Old Man, that's a little of that right now, that's pretty hard, you know, it's not a horror, but it's, but it has a, you know, it has that kind of punch to it. I'm really just finding myself being drawn to something that has a message, first and foremost, but it also has something to say about like what pushing forward and, and overcoming adversity. And, and that's why it's been fun to write this horror sports movie because the, the tropes of a sports arc, you don't have to like sports to feel connected to a sports movie because you're just rooting for the underdog. Mm-hmm. Right. So that idea of rooting for the underdog can permeate into this like over the top, you know, horror film. And I think finding ways to put those together can really be can really be interesting. I want something that I can't write that's right. that's part of it I really do I really want something that's like oh I don't know about that experience like I don't have the connection to where you're from or your culture or where you grew up or your background or ethnicity or something there's something probably that someone has as an individual you have experiences that I don't have. And you have places you've been to that I haven't been, and you have family that you know that I don't know, and people you've experienced. I want someone to write about those things, and I want to learn something in the process about, here's a myth that I never heard of that exists. I mean, we're developing, you know, a couple indigenous stories right now, because there are so many myths and crazy things out there. I'm like, I've never heard of that.
0: Yeah. That is
2: so cool. Like, so oh my many. god. Like, There's, and they're just unbelievable. So, you know, we're really going to push, you know, native horror. That's something that we're looking at for sure. But I also talked with someone, uh, you know, a young individual who's from Alabama and it was like a small, you know, middle nowhere town in Alabama. And it's like, you have things you can, you can tell me about that town. You know, you have things that you can, you can talk about that, that can make this unique. So I just, I just want to find a strong voice, you know, a strong voice that understands. And then the script itself, look, I'll be 100% honest, right? And this isn't always right, but I will just admit that I do. And I know a lot of other people that do it. We get a script, we immediately scroll to the bottom and we see how many pages there are. And if it's, you know, over 105, 10, yeah. there's probably a little eye roll. Right. Uh, depending on the genre, right? You know, if it's yeah. a period drama, fine, but I'm not reading a period mm-hmm. drama. So, right, you know, right, right. Uh, <laughs> and then and then I and then as I scroll back up, I just look for white space because you get those scripts that are just paragraphs, Mm -hmm. you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, line descriptions, and it just does not read like a movie, you know? And I think a script is a blueprint. It's not just for reading material, right? It's not a novella. It is a blueprint to make a film. And you should have those dramatic pauses. You should have those ups and downs. You should know when. You know, I don't care about we see or bold this or I don't give a shit. No, that's what matters. What matters is, do you pull me in when you need to pull me in? Do you know how to space it properly on the page? Do you know how to create dramatic that timing that those those beats? And I can just scroll. I'll just scroll through it real quick and kind of see. I'm like, oh, this looks like a real screenplay. And there are a lot that I'm like, this doesn't look like a real screenplay. It doesn't mean I'm not reading it. What it means is it just goes in that tab on a Trello board that we have that has 150 scripts on it. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I'll just search and it's searchable and I'll just search for, you know, oh, I'm kind of wanting to read something that's like this. And I'll search for some key terms and I'll see why scripts pop up in that, in that board. And we get to them when we get to them. But when something has a deck that's really interesting, has a perspective that I haven't heard of, has a killer log line, and some visuals. And then they actually have taken the time to understand what it is we're looking for. And it fits, it fits the paper street pictures. And then Blood Oath is another company that I have those kind of, you know, models. Then you go to the top of that list. It goes in and then I we have readers and then I send those off to our readers right off the bat. And yeah. we ask them to give us some coverage.
1: So basically when, when someone, uh, first off, you, you probably don't accept unsolicited material, right? It has to come through someone or do you have like one of those forms? I know everybody's different, every company's different that- Someone will have a form you can fill out, you know, send, send a query letter or something like that. Do you accept those? Are you the kind of mindset at Paper Street and um, that you just don't do that and you want it to come through a legitimate source or a friend? Or-
2: no, I mean, look, I love when something comes from a friend because that's curated. You know, that's mm-hmm. someone I trust who's saying that. But no, by all means, I mean, you can't send a script itself, but you can send the, a query letter, you know, a, even a deck. Uh, is fine. I don't, I don't mind that. Or at least a few images. Um, some people make tone reels, you know? So yeah, by all means, people can submit that to us and we take a look. I look at every single one. Doesn't mean I'm going to respond to everyone. I guarantee you in the time we're on this call, somebody is is emailing me and that's fine. That's that's fine. I appreciate that. I was that person emailing. I sent mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of emails, sure. you know, on, on our films. I've done that so many times that I still do it. You know, I'm pitching on a, a series right now that's it's even a known IP and I'm sending out cold emails to some sure. folks. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just part of the game and I understand that and I respect that. But if that if that is well written and I I can tell when it's copy-pasted, not to mention in Google, I get my email through we use G, a G Suite. You can see when it's copy pasted too, because you can see that the the lines, you know, it changes the text color and stuff, and like they just changed mm-hmm. my name and mm-hmm. they put that in there. I'm like, this is not, you're not taking the time. And I think just taking a couple extra minutes to to curate and make sure that you know who it is you're talking to goes a long way. Um, so yeah, 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 we're we're totally open to that. We don't want to create barriers to entry when we remove those, that's but we really, do want really someone who has the that believes in themselves enough to take the time to say, "I think there's something really of value here," and 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 you show that by taking the time to add that value into your own inquiry.
1: So you think it's not out of bounds to actually send a, a deck, a, like some sort of a deck, um, like a pitch deck to production company, I mean, at least for you, along with a query letter. Does that, do you think that helps you visualize things? Do you think that puts you at the top of a, of a stack? Do you, do you think that gives you an added benefit?
2: Well, I'll say this. If I have a number of scripts, it, it might take me a while to read that script. If I get a deck, I will always click on it and scroll through that deck. You're just getting eyes on it, guaranteed. Mm, you know, I think that's, that's, that's part enough. of it. So on on Blood Oath, we it's jointhebloodoath.com. We're about to revamp the website, but but there's some good information there. But you can go to jointhebloodoath.com and it asks if you have a deck. You can send the attachment right there. You can't send the script, but then we will request the script if we want. Typically, I think it's great to just put like an image or two in a log line and say I have a deck ready to send. That tells me. That you're even more kind of aware and i'll usually respond with like go ahead and send the deck Great. and then if i like that then i'll say yes yeah, send me the
1: script you know do you, do you read every email that you get that comes in like let, just at least skim over and read it or do you kind of just like have so many that you're like it's it's one of those lottery things where it's like i'll oh, just open this one open this one
2: well i don't read every email i get because i still am not very good at organizing my email and there's a lot of Spam and stuff, but I will say, query. When it comes to attention to me, and you know, it's it's a query letter. I read every one of those for sure. Right. And sometimes I might not make it all the way to the end if I just doesn't if I can feel if it doesn't feel like they put the time in. But if you have, I will read right. that for sure.
1: Yeah. That's fantastic. And I love what you say about horror with heart that you're looking for now. I mean, that's always been a motto for me because I think growing up, right. And you said yourself too, you love the Spielberg. You love like the, the Magnolia kind of that feel. And I used to love that growing up as a kid, right? Just regular movies. So for some reason, when I write things, that are horror based I always infuse this like heart to it but I think that just comes naturally from a subconscious place right I definitely share your sentiment for for being looking for something like that because most of the things that I that I write and do and and that I feel passionate about and watch and consume are all like the horror and and with heart world you know
2: yeah yeah I mean I think you know you think of a couple of examples recently like train to Busan. Pure horror. Okay, that—that that, oh, yeah. that, that is pure. pure horror. But if you're not crying at the end of Train to Busan, I question if you have a heart. You yeah, know? I mean that yeah. pulls on those heartstrings in every way. Um, you know, let the right one in. I think Let the Right One In is such a beautiful love story. Yes, but it's also completely a horror film. You know, and it has so many horrific moments. And even that ending with the pool and what's happening there is so horrific. But it's also so sweet at the same time. And it's yeah. just, is there a way to do that? And I think, you know, horror comedy, you know, plays a going, oh, you know, look, horror comedy is still hard, harder to get made than straight horror. A straight, scary horror script, high concept, limited locations, and you can cast up in one or two spots, meaning you can have a name in one or two of those spots. Those films are the easiest to get financed, for sure. Right. They're just not always what I want to make. You know, I do want limited cast, limited locations, but with maybe some some playfulness to it, maybe some fun. I mean, I love Super Eight. You know, I love what JJ Abrams did in Super Eight, because to me that feels like the ETS of the world and that time and that those kind of era films. And I think you know that was Stranger Things before there were Stranger Things. You know, yeah. and I yeah. think there's yeah. something to be said about that. And that there's an audience for that. There's absolutely an audience that connects with those types of things. It's been proven time and time and time again I want to be ahead of the curve in in those types of films and and that's definitely something we're targeting
1: speaking of like indigenous type of film horror films uh I, I just want to throw this out there because I think you'd be interested in this story but because because you're looking sort of for things that hey like I didn't know this right and I love that stuff it's like wait a second I had knew nothing about this or that, that even existed I read this article maybe this was had to be like 20 years ago in men's health magazine it was a I still have the entire article because i I photocopied. It was so great about a guy who lived in Haiti, and his sister went missing in Haiti, right? And he was looking for his sister. His family was looking for his sister years and years and years, trying to find his sister who was abducted. And he finally real found out that she was she was abducted into the Haitian voodoo zombie slave trade. Have you heard about that?
2: So I've actually, oddly enough, I've actually spent a summer in Haiti when I was in oh, high school. Right. Oh a, neat. yeah, cool. yeah. I wanted That's before so cool. I was going to be a, a writer. I was going to be a doctor, and I went. Oh to, wow! Yeah, odd. Yeah, odd turn of event. My mom is still not happy <laughs> that that did not come to come to fruition, but uh, but yeah, I, I did. I went there, so I, I learned a little a little about that and saw some things and you know, the compound we were at. So yes, I'm a little familiar with this.
1: Yeah, it's it's really neat. So I read this article and long and short of it is he kept following the trail of his sister and his sister kept, kept leading to another house and another lead and another lead. And she kept getting traded to these different people in Haiti as a zombie. Like they turned her into a zombie and then they just made her, enslaved her. And it's a big deal. It's like politically with the Tantamakut and, and the things that went on in Haiti during the civil war, this is a big issue in Haiti and it's still going on that they use zombification as a cover for the slave trade there, which is insane. Like it is. Blew, blew my mind. It, the The article ended with like he opened up a tomb, right? And he was he thought his sister was there. She she wasn't there. It was like now the lead continues. The story continues. He continues the search for her, and she's a zombie somewhere. People would see her on the street. It's like oh I I saw this woman walking around like she was aimless, you know, as a zombie around the streets. She was in this person's house in this person's backyard. And I always find that it found that interesting. So so I wrote a screenplay uh, with my writing partner, Kristen, which actually did pretty well um, festival-wise. But, like, it was about a girl who got abducted from, like, you know, the suburbs of New York City. She went on a field trip in New York, got abducted into the Haitian slave trade in Haiti. They abducted her there, and her, you know, kind of clever cop father, who was on the verge of retirement— decides to figure out you know where she went and it leads him to haiti and like this huge zombie slave trade it's absolutely freaking crazy but i bring that up because when you said hey stories that like you hear that you didn't know about this one stuck with me for so long that it was like a 10-year development of this screenplay from the time i read this awesome article to like having that that seed of an idea to develop that screenplay it was kind of like taken meets serpent in the rainbow but it really turned out really fun yeah
2: no that's really really fascinating i think there's there is something to those kind of stories my only concern would be making sure that we don't have a white savior kind of situation
1: right yeah yeah Um, no especially yeah yep
2: yeah because that's that is something that i think kind of you know has permeated a lot of screenplays like in the 90s you know that was definitely a bigger thing but but the idea that you're talking about here i think there is something really really fascinating about if you can learn of that culture and then maybe if that there could be Positive answers in that culture that can that can help them. I think that's that's where the story. I would hope it would go in the third act. Otherwise, it can become this: what you do is bad, and what we we are correct, right? And I want to yep. culturally, I always want to be sensitive to those types of things. But I I do know of some of this, and there is and there's a lot of folks in Haiti too. That's like you know, there's there's good you know the the uh, the white witch type ideas you know behind it, mm-hmm. the Wiccan you know kind of ideas. Not not I don't believe it's Wiccans that are in Haiti, but but there is, there's good voodoo, you know, it's not yes. all yep. bad. The and good I think, versus evil.
1: Yeah. The good angel, the bad, the, you know, little exactly. big angel kind of deal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the one that you feed right on the shoulder yeah. kind of. Yes. Yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And I think there's something that, you know, if, if, you know, this person can be fall into this and and see the, the evil, but then also the good that's there can help unearth what that evil is. And, and it helps him deal with some other problem in his life, you know, that wasn't there. And now, now you have these really interesting characters. So yeah, that's, that's a really cool, it's a great kind of like foot in, you know, to this high concept, you know, crazy thing that is based in reality. Right. So yeah, that's definitely relevant to the kind of things I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. And it's really interesting. You just said that about the, the white savior kind of deal because when we were writing it we thought the same exact thing right so you know what we did was we actually and, and you actually hit it on the head too because you're, you're actually developing this as your your mind like thinking in that way but we thought of that too we said you know why don't we give nick who's the main the cop that actually has to go as his daughter why don't we give him like this this issue right he has like this kind of addiction towards like medications and anxiety and all this stuff because he was an ex-cop right so he's high strong he's he's kind of like his relationship with his wife is kind of struggling so when he gets to haiti he it becomes a sort of a buddy picture so he meets a guy a haitian guy named owenso and owenso is very much like of the culture and he actually learns from owenso in haiti along the way and at the end it's actually owenso's character who ends up transforming nick's character to grow as a character from where he was at the beginning with his anxiety and, you know he throws out his drugs at the end but he teaches him all the great things about what haitian culture can teach him as a character and as a person, which really helped us avoid falling into the white savior trope, you know, which well, is cool. really funny you, you said that because it, it really we were thinking the same exact thing. So I have a
2: I have a quick development pitch for you because now I have an idea. No, now
1: I'm ready. No, this is um,
2: so I think, you know, to me, what I think could be really fascinating is rather than everything you just said could completely play. But what if rather than him being a cop, he was uh, a priest who lost his faith? Oh, and, and, and had lost his faith. And then when he gets to Haiti, he's having to wrestle with like believing in the good that's there. And they're like, look, there is this good that's here that can help you find your daughter, but he just doesn't believe in that anymore. And he's having to struggle It creates more conflict with that character, this inner struggle of now I have to believe in the good in order to overcome the evil. And at first, what's happened to his daughter, maybe even that's what caused him to lose his faith. Like, why would God allow this to happen to me? And it doesn't have to be a religious story. It just needs to be about someone who's trying to find this connection. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not a religious person, so, you know, even suggesting this, but like, sure. um, I'm an atheist. But, um, but I just think <laughs> there's something about that loss of faith like in a signs, you know, kind of what M Knight did. Yes. In signs. I was just going to say a- the
1: same thing. He, he, you know, he he loses his faith after his wife dies. Yeah. And he gets it back at the end. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think there's, there's a interesting parallel there that if that's what that journey is and then he's had and, and he's learning something and whether or not it, it shouldn't be overt, but whether or not something connects him to that and the good that's there, maybe that can be what brings him back Um, in that connection. But anyway, that's just just speaking out loud.
1: No, I totally love that. One of the big challenges we have, and I think one of the reasons why we made him a detective was because, hey, like, what kind of guy, right? We're thinking Liam Neeson character. What kind of guy actually is able to you know figure out the clues to get him to the place that was our biggest in right how are they gonna how are we gonna get him to to haiti in general right now mm-hmm. obviously there's so many ways in i love the idea of the faith idea i think that's so so exciting developmentally and you know obviously scripts have a life forever so i mean we're still yeah, entertaining things with this thing it's not completed until you see it on the screen right so we're constantly just open to new new fun things with it but it's definitely one of my f- most fun screenplays that i've written and i've written some thus far obviously but like it, it's touched me and it has ha- that heart in that way and it actually has that journey and and that fun to it uh, that sticks with me that particular one that's really um, cool, yeah, that's I, really cool. I, I love the development notes that was that was great We haven't really ever done a development kind of back and forth on this show about certain ideas, and I think that was like incredible so thanks for doing that
0: it's like a little sneak peek on what it looks like to have that conversation if people don't work with partners that's what a conversation like that can look like exactly but um we touched on this before but i think i mean i know i want to hear a little bit more about like can you give us a little exclusive on scare package 2 rad chad's revenge like what can you what can you tell us about it right now since it's in post and it'll be with us soon so share that if you can
2: sure sure Yeah. I mean, look, it's still wild to me that because as I was saying before, Scare Package was just this palate cleanser for us. You know, it was this movie that existed solely because we had a bad experience making a movie. (laughs) So I was like, let's just have some fun. Let's figure it out. Let's throw some blood against walls and let's just, you know, tell a bunch of stupid jokes. Now it's become this thing. You know, people were dressed up as Rad Chad for Halloween and, you know, we had trading cards and you know all of this this kind of life that's kind of like even breathed out of it. So getting to make a sequel, you know, as a horror filmmaker is just surreal. I I still can't believe that's happening. And, and and everything's everything's in the can. Uh, we have actually one pickup day that's a Saturday that we're we're doing for the main story, and then that's it. It'll definitely be released this year on Shutter. I can't say the date just yet, but um, you know it's it's definitely coming in 2022. I will say, I think most people, when they watch the first film, they're like, oh, what an easy framing story. There's a video store, you put a video in, you can tell different things. This could go on forever. And I was like, well, but that's too boring for me. I mean, I, I, don't wrong, I love the video store framing device, and I love Radshot as a character who, who does die in the first film. I was like, what if we really made this about horror sequels? You know, and and what happens in horror sequels, how they raise the stakes, who's alive is not, or who's dead is not, and what this could mean or not. And I'm not saying who is or isn't, but it's just it's fun to play with that and tease that. At the time, you know, I think, and and if anyone's seen the teaser, it definitely is saw inspired, I will say, because I watched all the saw sequels, and I say this with love, you know, to some people that I know who wrote some of those. But once you get into like saw four, five, and six, like I, I consider myself a moderately intelligent person. I have no idea what's going on. Like I cannot.
1: <laughs> I'm glad I'm I, not alone on that.
2: I cannot figure them out. It's just like, there's a shot of something that happens where this drug place took place or whatever that he was with his wife. And then every movie, they just go wider and there was another person hiding and they go wider and there's another person there. And it's just who's behind this. And like, you know, I don't know how many people were working with Jigsaw by the time you get to the end. You know, how many different you know, side people he had. And, and that's fascinating to me, this idea that a movie that you have that exists, that if you just go to a wider lens, if you will, then all of a sudden you see more of what you didn't realize was there. So mm-hmm. that's part of our approach with this. And it starts out at Radchad's funeral. I'll say that. It starts out at Radchad's funeral. And then it kind of goes into some really wild places from there. But it's much more of the framing story That's, that's really the key part of the sequel is the framing story. And then we have four segments that happen within that framing story, but they're not in the way that people will expect,
1: you know, looking at your IMDb, like you are kind of a little bit of, like, an anthology king. I mean, you you do love the anthology style. I mean, there's no denying that based on your resume. When you're accepting, and I'm just saying this also because I just wrote two short films, four anthology films. We actually wrote them, Aaron and I, for um, one of the big anthology series where Aaron's got a connection and we're, you know, trying to get them read for the next season. But, like, when you're looking at like an anthology film, how do you accept submissions for something like that? Do you get people that send you short scripts for the anthology world? Or do you just kind of like develop those with with folks you know? Or how does one get an in with like a short screenplay for an anthology?
2: So, well, on Scare Package 1, we just had this list of all these people that we reached out to. We didn't mm-hmm. tell anybody we were making this. So we had reached out to people we already knew. Mm-hmm. So there was no real submission process. Now, when we reached out to those folks, we said, hey, pitch us. Here's what the kind of tropes we want. And we gave them a list of tropes. And then once we picked a couple, we would say, hey, those are off the board. So try and focus on different things. And, you know, but with the sequel, we had so many folks that we didn't get to work with on the first one that we really wanted to find a way to work with. So we just kind of went back to that same well. So there wasn't really a submission process there either. Um, Now, I will say we want... To make as many scare package movies as we can. Sure. So we have had folks uh, over the course of the past couple of years, you know, since Scare Package released, that have said, Hey, I have an idea, you know, for a scare package, you know, segment. So I think if it's horror comedy and a real trope and something that's there, if we're lucky enough to continue making them, I think and someone said and submitted an idea. Yes, I think there's a world where where that can be the case. We do we do try to focus on you know, to having a diverse group of folks, you know, and just having some different perspectives. Like we made, for scare package two, the majority, the the core story was what I did, Cameron and I wrote, that I directed, and that's you know in Oklahoma where we directed that. But then, we also shot another segment. You know, well actually another segment was LA and Oklahoma, one in London, uh, one in Minnesota, and one in Australia. So. It was kind of all over the place, um, you know, in, in that regard. But that was that was deliberate. We wanted to have, you know, different perspectives, like I was saying, just some different takes on uh, what this could be so Scarecrow could go a little international if we could.
1: I think it's very, very cool that you actually had the tropes there and then you kind of put those out there and said, look, what kind of ideas do you have within these tropes? You knew, you know, the stories you kind of wanted to tell, whether that's, you know, vampire comedy, whether that's whatever that is, you knew sort of the route you wanted to go with, the type of horror you want it to be a monster thing. And then you did an open call sort of for things like that. And you I'm guessing you probably when you have stories come in, you you kind of put them on the the blackboard and you just just pin them up there and you wait until the next one. And maybe that's when that one might work, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, actually. So Cameron and I wrote one of the segments uh, one of the four segments we also wrote, and then we we found a director for that because we just we just it just kind of came to us over new year's while we were working we were producing another movie and um, that got delayed by a couple weeks and we we're like you know we were stuck in quarantine and we we're like let's let's write a let's write something and we wrote a segment actually we wrote two segments one didn't make it uh but one did and you know we hired a director for that so we have one other one that we're excited about maybe could be in this and if we're able to make a third one that could be in a third one but yeah we do have some ideas too so yeah like we have a trello board that's just everything that's just filled in a Google drive. That's just filled with random ideas and things that we're developing. So yeah, I mean, anything's there. I mean, I I do think we're excited about doing, well, I don't want to get too far until like I, we haven't even released the second one, but I have some <laughs> unique ideas uh, that we would love to explore if we're lucky um, in a third one.
1: I, I love it. So the last question we have for you is, and we asked this of all our guests, what scares you?
2: Well, the short answer is aliens. <laughs> mm. Because like abduction so, in the middle of the night. Well, so I, I watched that movie communion with Christopher Walken back yep. in the day and I read the book oh, yeah. oh, and geez. then fire in the sky and those oh, kind of scared fire me. in the
1: sky. I'll do it.
2: I mean, God, that scene with like, the <laughs> eyes and everything. Yeah. It's just, yeah. but, but then, and I was okay. And then I got, I was kind of better with it, but then I, I saw the speech of Stephen Hawking before he had passed talking about how statistically there must be aliens out there. Mm-hmm. like that that just there are and i was like wait what and so then once that happened that's the unexplainable that my pragmatic logical brain cannot connect the dots on our size in the universe is something i truly cannot quantify because no one can truly quantify that that unknown is scary right as far as yeah. far as what's there so that's definitely something. And then, you know, I mean, I think there's a little bit with me. It's uh, that I'm just not going to be able to make movies anymore. Mm, that <laughs> is know? a scary thought. I get scared. I just get scared that uh, someone is going to peek behind the curtain Wizard of Oz style and realize like, oh, this is just you? You're the one that's making all these movies? Like, yeah, you don't get to do that anymore.
1: Mm. No. And that's terrifying. <laughs> I
2: can't. I just can't help but, uh, and I think that you know, and I'm I'm trying to be better about it. My girlfriend's you know works as a life coach, and she's always like you know helping me with some of these things because it's uh you know there is that imposter syndrome that kind of pops up, and you know we just got rejected a movie for South by Southwest, and I was pretty down about it, you know what that is, but that's that's just how this industry goes, you know it's just what you have to do, and you just have to look at this and and not allow those things. Like I said, that one every no is one step closer to a yes, and. You know, have that different mentalities. But I do I do have this fear that it's that the well is gonna dry up. Yeah. That uh shutter who we work with all the time, you know, shutter's gonna go out of business, you know. Shutter's gonna shutter. Yeah, that's a legit I, yeah. fear. But no, they're just oh. getting bigger and bigger and doing yep. more and more of movies. And you know, it looks like we just sold a movie today, actually, to a different company. Oh, nice. Congratulations. You know? Yeah, congrats. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so it's just you know, it's exciting, but I I constantly kind of fear that. So aliens and not making movies. And if those come together somehow, then that's the worst.
1: Per- perfect answer for that to that question. Perfect. And we haven't gotten aliens yet. And they are truly scary. Oh my gosh. Truly scary. Very, very Goodness. scary. Yeah. If
2: aliens am... kept me from making movies, that's <laughs> I the worst. I guess.
1: Horrifying. Like...
0: <laughs> this total like movie moment like story moment where like i mean don't don't make it about movies but if there was a character who is like about to lose his job his life is going terribly and his life is becoming meaningless and then all of a sudden aliens land on earth and he has to rise to the occasion of being the hero that would be a great movie yeah, Let's just
2: throw ideas I just down. had to
0: get that out because it just like threw on my <laughs> just, brain.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's you're constantly trying to you, you have to wear your protagonists out and just have them feel hopeless. So that way, once they reach that top, they reach that mountain, you know, there's you, you feel that accomplishment. So, yeah, just beat them down with everything. And then, have, yeah, and have aliens show up. And they have to be the one. They have to be the one to yeah. do it.
0: Like yeah. falling I mean, down meets war of the worlds.
2: Yeah, I love, I love falling that. down. You forgot that's your briefcase. I love that.
0: one. Yeah.
1: The best. One of my favorites. So, Aaron, where can folks follow you on the social nets?
2: Sure. Well, where you all found me. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Aaron B. Koontz and Twitter, Aaron B. Koontz. I mean, I, there's another Aaron Koontz out there that's an imposter. So I, I use the B. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I, 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 for the most part engage with folks and I'll try to get to, to most people that reach out and and talk. So yeah, very, I think I'm friendly. I think.
1: I mean, so far you've demonstrated nothing less, nothing less than friendly. Um, and what about websites? Like where can people submit things, like see more about paper street and, you know, your, your multiple companies that you've got?
2: Yeah. So you can just go to paperstreetpictures.com. We're about to come on our 10 year anniversary of paper street, but had I known that we would do this for this long and actually make it a real business. Cause I did not know if it would at the start, <laughs> people always call it paper street productions, but, right. uh, but it's paper street pictures. I also have um, this, it's a genre consulting company called blood oath. That is where we took a number of people that are different experts in different fields. Like we have a casting director, we have a sales agent, we have two distributors, We have, you know, a festival guru and then myself and Ashley Snead, who's one of my wonderful producing partners at Paper Street, um, who does budgets with us and everything and line producing and producing. And myself, and we're this blood oath collective that exists to help. I mean, our motto is making scary movies less scary to make. So the idea is that. I love that. We're just looking for different ideas, and there's a pitch form. You can go to jointhebloodoath.com, and then there's there's a couple social pages, but they're not very active, you know, at the moment. But I mean, I do check them. I'm I'm one of the people that logs in, and we'll check them from time to time. But so yeah, but Blood Oath and Paper Street Pictures are both out there, and. You know, we're always looking for projects. We are completely booked until 2023, when even halfway through 2023, but we have, we're have we expanding and we have other producers that we're working with where I'm kind of overseeing a project and I'm bringing in other producers to kind of go make those movies for us. We can, we can still green light projects, even if I might not be the person that's on set for them anymore, you know, and I might just put a team together for them so that kind of stuff
1: happens too. Terrific. Thanks for the the plugs for those things, because I think they're going to be great resources for our listeners who are aspiring horror screenwriters, so I'm sure they'll head over there, and you may get a little bit inundated by by some requests. Uh, you may see a little bump after this this episode airs, but I, I think it's really great that you're open and available to accept ideas from up-and-coming horror screenwriters, because I, I know there's a lot out there, and, and a lot of great fresh voices out there that listen to the show specifically. So thank you for doing that.
2: Yeah, that's exciting. I love the idea of that. So That doesn't scare me whatsoever. I think. I mean, I'm I'm a mentor with Start with Eight Hollywood. Oh, and- Start with
1: Eight. We had a Tope on the show, season one. She was talking about it quite a bit on her episode. But yeah.
2: Oh, that's wonderful! Yeah, and that's been such a rewarding experience. And I've just gotten to meet so many amazing women of color that are trying to, you know, find their their path and have their opportunities. And they they've suggested other folks and and whatnot there. And so I'm just I'm just always eager to look if if somebody has a killer screenplay, I want to know it. I mean, yeah. I want to I want to find it. And also, and I want them to be open to developing it. I mean, that is something yeah. I will say. Like we take a lot of pride. We are writers. So like all of us. know even if I'm not writing like we said we have 10 movies coming out I didn't write those 10 movies but I helped develop all of those Uh and I'll we'll sit down and we'll talk about ideas and we're not here to get ourselves inserted as writers we're here to just to make the best movie possible and then I'll I'll write my own things you know in that time. Um, which is hard <laughs> to find the time, but I still do. I still write an hour every day. Mm. And that's something that's important to me. But anyway, yeah, by all means, I'm excited for folks to to reach out. And I want to unearth that gem of a project that that you know hasn't been made yet. Like, we want to find those. So we're excited about that.
1: Thank you again for joining us, Aaron. Awesome. Yes, really thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on today. And we cannot wait to see what comes next from you. Uh, We're waiting for Scare Package 2 and we're going to follow your career pretty closely as we have been doing. So uh, thanks again for coming on.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It was a joy. You guys are wonderful to speak with and excited to start listening myself and start watching this because, you know, horror screenwriting and it's just a fun topic. I'm glad that you have that niche and it's just a wonderful place to breed some really interesting creativity out in the world. And thanks for doing what you guys do. Yep.
1: Thanks for supporting us. I always say this, like, and I feel like I'm just a, a walking cliche, but that was truly, it just keeps upping the ante for the season. One of my favorite interviews all season. That was oh, awesome. I,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's like that perfect mix of like his legacy, he's established, but he's still c- up and coming. He's, right you know, got things down coming down the pipeline. He's somebody who's going to be someone to watch in the future. You know, the next James Wan.
1: Right. And he's also going to help our listeners get their things made i mean this you truly talking to aaron you really know he cares he doesn't want to miss a good screenplay he doesn't want to miss producing something great and i think we need more people like aaron out there that are helping up and coming aspiring horror screenwriters In saying look if you got the goods i got the funds i got the passion i got the drive and oh wait How about that cool mini development little sesh we had going on with Soul Passage? That was cool. That was cool.
0: I always think of it in terms of if you've never worked with a writing partner before, if you've never worked with somebody who has professional experience in that before, like having a little snapshot of what that can look like can kind of ease some of the concerns because some people are very protective of their work. And it's like, no, this being a collaborative process, if you're open to the ideas that are being given to you, then you're just going to make your craft better.
1: Exactly. Perfectly put. And a great way to okay. end off our second to last episode of the Scream Writers podcast. I I oh my god. Point. Can you believe it, Katie?
0: I can't. I won't. I refuse. I'm done. Actually, okay. don't we have next week with rich
1: man Yeah, well we have the next week, but like I mean I'm as far as our usual format our usual interviews and our witty right. banter like that is it's 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 end of season 2. But yes. but Katie Katie, I'm saying right now, I'm putting my foot down. We are back for season three, October 2022, just a few months from now. Go enjoy your summer. Go in the pools. You know, drink your Mai Tais. Go on vacation. But write guess what? When, you know, write your screenplays. Write your screenplays. Well, that too. Write your screenplays yeah. while you're doing all that stuff. And then come back when the leaves start to fall and that crisp smell of fireplaces in the air and, you know, the, the cool chill in the air of, of both L.A. and East and West Coast. And I know there's that cool chill and that fall feeling out there in los angeles too when you feel that feeling of fall and the pumpkin spice starts starts marinating falls here we'll be back mark my words join us
0: with your pumpkin spice lattes and your boots join one of us google gobble one join
1: us us. (laughs) as always until next week You can hit us up on Twitter at PC, Instagram at Podcast, We're on the Facebook. We're on the LinkedIn. We're even on the LinkedIn. You can LinkedIn us. I don't know what will happen if you do that. Try it out. Or you can hit us up uh, on the email, ScreamwritersPodcast at gmail.com. Please, 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 if you like what we do, review us, rate us. Uh, Say something nice. Subscribe to us. Subscribe to us. Subscribe to us. Um, We have grown so much over the last uh, few years. I can't believe I'm saying this few years. Please, subscribe to us. We want to be the first, you know, thing that pops up on your phone when when we have a new episode every Friday at 6 a.m. ET, boom, boom, boom. But until then, keep writing.
0: And stay scared.